0: I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land. And for this episode in particular, the Yirritja people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging.
1: Yeah, there's always learning experiences along the way. I think everyone's had them in winemaking. If, if you haven't, then you're not you're not risking enough or you know going out there and I don't know. You've been too playing it too safe. You don't want to play it safe. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shantae Whale. Joanna Marsh hit the
0: Australian wine scene running. And she hasn't stopped since. In her slipstream is a wealth of awards and accomplishments. Her progressive work under her own brand, Billy Button Wines, in the Alpine Valleys of Victoria, has set tongues wagging. Let's find out why. Hi Joe. thanks for joining me. All right, thanks. thanks for inviting me. I've long been admiring your wines for a long time, um, and I think you live in one of the most beautiful parts of the world. When did the wine bug bite you?
1: Um, it was, uh, not a direct path into wine. I think like a lot of people I've met in the industry, um, I was actually, um, studying chemical engineering and science at Adelaide University and was a bit sort of disillusioned with, uh, where I was going to end up, um, when I graduated, um, so I started, you know, considering my options um, when I had to speak to a, a fellow student who was considering um, working in the wine industry when they finished and that sort of put me on the wine track, um, I guess. And I guess I was thinking about, you know, the beautiful wine regions and, and that kind of thing. Um sounded much better than a chemical engineering sort of industrial plant type place. So, um, yeah, I kind of pretty much made the decision overnight um, and transferred to winemaking at that time. And I guess it's um, at the time... I probably wouldn't say I had a love for wine. Um, I was only uh, 19, um, but it's certainly certainly grown on me <laughs> um, as it does a lot since then continuously, so.
0: Did you find when you transferred, did you find that, you know, that's a lot of kind of chemical processes too, lots of science? Did you enjoy that side of things knowing that it, at the end game was production of wine?
1: Yes, yeah. I, would, I was always, um, I'd always loved chemistry, um, and was yeah, studying um, organic chem- chemistry um, in my science degree as well because um, I did like that th- side of things. Um, so I, I enjoy that wine making uses that, um, but I do also do like the, I suppose artistic side to it as well, getting to, to use your own style, I guess. Hmm.
0: Your first posting was with Southcorp at Treasury Wine Estates. So you went straight to the big
1: guns. What was that experience like? Uh, amazing. Um, I highly recommend it, I suppose, for anyone sort of um, coming into the wine industry. Um, it's it's the best way to do it, I think, is to go big and then go small. It's much harder to go the other way. Um, you just learn so much um, in the large company Um With uh, such diverse wineries, um, you learn a lot about the logistical side of winemaking. You get exposed to a lot of vineyards from a lot of regions. Um, Yeah, it's, it's definitely a great grounding for a winemaker. And how long did you spend there? Um, so I was on their graduate recruitment program, uh, which lasted for two years, um, and they post you at um, at different um, locations. So um, I started off at Penfolds um, in the Barossa, um, and then I went up to um, Rosemount up in the Hunter, um, and then um, finished off at um, Lindemans at um, Caradoc, um, and from there I. Um, took on the assistant winemaker position at Sepple in Great Western and basically stayed there the next eight years, progressing through to um, senior winemaker. Um, And, yeah, after eight years, I suppose that was the time I decided I'd had enough um, large company and um, time to try something different.
0: It must be amazing, like, coming straight out of school or uni, sorry, and then walking into somewhere and working at a place like Lindemans. Did you learn a lot? I imagine you learn a wealth of history about the Australian wine scene, and 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 you know these people that have been making wine for so long. Did, was that an amazing experience?
1: Yeah, yep. Yeah, I was definitely I was quite intimidated um, early on. I think because I didn't come from a wine making background, I didn't have any sort of wine making connections, um, and yeah, I guess I doubted my ability um, quite a lot early on. So it was a um, great to to be around all these um amazing um people and i suppose particularly um at Lindemans and at sepulch like if you look in the wine industry there are so many highly regarded people in the industry that have been through um either of those sites um so they really are um, great trading grounds
0: that's very true yeah when you when you look at the kind of legacy it, they're certainly doing something right to churn out uh some amazing winemakers Tell me about your time at Seppel Great Western because, you know, going from someone that was fairly new to senior winemaker must have been an amazing experience. What was your kind of learnings and what, what did you take away? What is there one rule that you kind of took away that that was the biggest kind of formation of your philosophies about wines or what, what was the big marker for you at Seppel? Yeah.
1: Um. Probably, probably the one rule was that there um, are no rules. Um, so yeah, I was there for um, eight vintages, and yeah, we went sort of um, from fairly uh, bad drought conditions to you know flooding and you know pretty pretty wet vintages. Um, my last vintage there was an extremely wet, challenging vintage. So um, for me, it was just um, amazing to spend that amount of time with um those vineyards the Great Western Vineyard um the Drumborg Vineyard and a number of growers vineyards and just getting to see that that fruit every year and you know you get to learn what a fruit what, what that fruit is going to do I suppose from you compare it to previous vintage that it's like or you, yeah, you just get a real feel for the fruit that you can't have if you don't stay somewhere for enough vintages so um for me that's that's Um, what I really enjoyed is yeah, getting to really know your vineyards um, and what they can do.
0: You then went overseas and did a couple of uh, vintages, one in the Napa Valley and one in Burgundy. Was there a big change or was it kind of business as usual when you step into wineries in such different places?
1: Uh, No, it's, it's always a big change. Um, yeah, everyone does something different. Um, the U.S. particularly, because um, it was um, Beringer so I went over there actually, um, partially because of a UI making computer program. Um, but yes, going to a, another very large site in the in the big company, um, and they did things uh, completely different, um, I suppose. So yeah, it was it was quite interesting. And then to the to the little sort of um, estate in Burgundy. Um, very hands-on, very compressed vintage, <laughs> which I did enjoy that. They just couldn't get their head around the fact that you could be receiving fruit over two to three months. Um, so, yeah, it was it was nice to have that focus um, in Burgundy.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I particularly like Frederick Magny, and I probably have saved said that wrong, I apologise, but uh, I've really had some standout wines uh, from that estate. So did you drink well were you, when you were over there? Yes,
1: yes. That was the other part I loved about the, the French vintage is uh, getting the meals prepared. It's like that. That was also a big learning was like at one o'clock, like out of the winery, they lock the doors. You go over to the house um, where you get fed a four course lunch with wine, um, and you're not allowed back into the winery till two o'clock. Like it was, it was absolutely every single day at the same time. No, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like they, they take their um, lunches <laughs> very seriously. So um, yes, we did get to taste quite a lot, and um, yeah. Yeah, I was in charge of um, Chardonnay um, barrel ferment temperatures and stuff. So I got to um, do a lot of tasting um, of, some, of some nice vineyards while I was there too. Oh, what
0: a dream. I mean, I hope that you've taken that, uh, that kind of tradition into your working life now and you occasionally stop and feed yourself. <laughs> but I, I want to talk a little bit about the award that you won for your sparkling wine, the Graham Thought Memorial S- Scholarship for um your 2009 best sparkling um that's an incredible award to win and it was the first sparkling wine that you ever made i mean sparkling wine is not kind of an entry-level wine to make it's probably got some of the most um thought planning technical details that you need to know tell me about what winning that uh scholarship was like
1: um oh um, yeah amazing um to get something uh, good out of, I guess sparkling came to me in a bit of a difficult situation um, six months after I started at um, Sepult. Um, they made the decision to shut down all of their um, packaging there. At the time, there was about 150 people um, working on site. They had about six different packaging lines um, and they were all to be shut down um, and moved to Mildura. Um, but they decided to keep the traditional method um sparkling continuing at Great Western Um, and I was uh, given that job, uh, like I said, six months out of the graduate program, you're now going to become our traditional method sparkling maker um so yeah it was a pretty pretty rapid learning process um but yes I certainly I absolutely loved it because that was sort of the first real thing I was given as a winemaker my first real responsibility um and yeah really really relished um that opportunity to so then win the award with the first one i sort of made from start to finish was was pretty amazing um because I was also tasked with improving the sparklings there they hadn't sort of been doing too well at shows for a while um, so yeah that that gave me a real the confidence but yeah um as winning that award uh, i got a trip to champagne um i got to visit a number of champagne houses and spend um uh 10 days with a champagne uh, consultant going around to all the smaller houses and oh, it was it's was one of the best times of my life um yeah I just remember traveling around with him and just yeah just going to all these little estates you often he would often arrive, make sure we arrived at the best ones around lunchtime so we could join in there like communal lunch with um all the pickers and everyone like that and yeah just tasting the juices at the different places it was yeah it was it was fantastic experience
0: Amazing. And sorry, I should clarify, you won that award in 2009 and it was for the 2005 Sepulchre Salinger. Sorry, I just want to make that clear. Did you, do you have any bottles left that you kept and put aside for yourself?
1: Uh, I think I do. Um, my parents um, uh, live in um, South Australia um, in Currency Creek, and um, when they built their house, they built an underground um, cellar. So all of my, um, Wines, special wines <laughs> have gone there, which is now a thousand kilometres away from where I live. So I don't get back there too often, um, which means that. things tend to tend to not be rated too much so I think I do still have a few bottles of of that one left in the cellar there
0: amazing well that look that's a very smart move I've always said that you know your really special bottle should be kept off site somewhere where you can't make that 2am decision to open I don't know a a little old bottle of DRC when you're never going to remember it so I think that's quite a smart move yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah, now, it works out pretty well. Every time someone comes to visit, I get them to bring a, a mixed selection. I've got yeah quite a lot of older uh, separate, separate wines in there.
0: <laughs> That's really cool. Now you made the decision to go out on your own and produce wines for yourself, which is always, I imagine, a pretty scary move. Uh, Billy Button Wine started in 2014 and has had great success. Tell me a little bit about starting your own brand and why name it after the gorgeous little uh native daisies they're one of my favorite australian uh, natives and i'm so glad that you've drawn attention to them
1: um yeah i guess so, so the real um catalyst for starting my own wine brand i'd never really thought about it or planned it prior to it happening i guess um but it was as um, i'd been working in the alpine valleys um for a couple of years, um, and it's a, a amazing community up here. Um, fantastic um, growers, um, lovely people, um, and and really good fruit. But um, no one had really heard of it. Like we we actually had um, had been receiving some Alpine Valley's juice uh, when I was at Seppel, but I'd never actually visited um, the region. So yeah, I got to got to know all, all about the quality of fruit here. But at the time. Um, a bit challenging in the industry and a lot of the growers were actually struggling to sell their grapes selling them for you, you know uh un, un, unsustainable pricing or picking them onto the ground and i just thought it was such a shame that no one knew about this amazing area i'd discovered um and so it got me sort of thinking about how how can we help people get to know the alpine valleys as a, as a wine region um so I decided the best way was to, to make wine from there as best as I could and, and try and get it out there um, and get people talking about the Alpine Valley. So that was sort of why um, I started and um, hence why it was really important to me that the name of the brand had a connection to the region Um uh, as, as along with um, wanting the brand to be um, friendly and, and accessible and I didn't want it to be intimidating to people. I just, you know, I wanted it to be just a fun, um, easy to access sort of thing and it, to me, the Billy Buttons, um, the name says that, the, the, the flower says that, um, you know, the bright yellow colours. So it just, yeah, seemed to be a perfect fit.
0: Yes, it does just, just radiates sunshine and warmth and happiness. And, yeah, I totally agree. Your labels do that. I think uh, from everyone that I know that's met you, they say the same thing about your personality too. But the Alpine Valleys is probably one of the most beautiful places. You know, you're sitting right at the foothills there and, um, of the mountains tell me a little bit about what viticulture is like it does get pretty cool you have a lot of rainfall so tell me a little bit about kind of the challenges but also the beauty of growing grapes in the alpine valleys
1: uh yes it's certainly certainly um challenging um when you're in a sort of marginal um climate like this so um when i started billy button like i said it was uh, was um to help the local growers who aren't unable to sell their grapes so um it was really initially working with those established growers. um, But we've actually just in the last sort of 12 months now moved into sort of vineyard management ourselves, taking over a couple of vineyards. Um, So we're really (laughs) learning um, about the challenges um, of grape growing because it's been a pretty challenging year. But yeah, so obviously being up here surrounded by um, a huge amount of, of the region is, is national park um, and, um, obviously heavily forested so uh one of our big concerns up here is um bushfires and um and smoke taint um which we had in um, 2020 and it was just a complete complete write-off um for the whole region um so yes you've got to factor that in to your thoughts that and and just be prepared that yeah you you know it's probably one in five um one in ten one in eight yeah, probably in the in the long run, probably yeah, somewhere around that, somewhere between one in five and ten years that you will lose to um, to uh, smoke taint. So you, you sort of have to be prepared for that. That you can put in all the hard work and lose it at the last minute. Um, and then same with just the other <laughs> all the other issues with growing. Um, frost can be an issue. Um, we had uh, yeah some bad frosts um, uh, this spring. Uh, some pretty late frosts that um, yes, yeah, some vineyards were affected. Um, quite badly and other ones escaped it completely so yes we do have some lower crops um, in some areas because of the frost and then of course um, the higher growing season rainfall than a lot of uh, viticultural regions um, can present some issues with um, disease, botrytis and mildews um, and the like so yeah you've really got to be on your game um, here and it really does sort of sort out um, the good Um, growers uh, and vineyard managers from, yeah, you can't do it as a sort of part-time gig if you've really got to be on the ball here um, or you can lose your entire crop quite quickly.
0: In terms of uh, combating those, with, um, you know, with rainfall, is it just having kind of airflow and canopy management? And with frost, is it more just are you spraying kind of, you know, to kind of combat the frost what what, how what are the two main kind of uh areas
1: yeah because i mean frost is is a risk but it's actually like i said not super common here so um there aren't too many um, vineyards with frost protection you can get sprinklers um systems and so a couple of our vineyards have those but it's a it's a pretty expensive setup um so not everyone has those um so yeah, sometimes it's yeah. There's not much you can do really, other than just uh, watch them shrivel up and and die after a frost. So yeah, you just, you just sort of wear that risk, I guess. Um, and um, with the with the rainfall, um, yes, it's definitely about your site selection, um, your canopy management, um, variety choice um, can be in there as well. Um, and and then yeah, actually it comes down to a lot of spraying. So um, there aren't too many organic. Vineyards. I'm not sure if there's any actually in the Alpine valleys, um, because it's it's a very challenging um, area. I think a lot of um, the organic um, kind of vineyards are in slightly drier climates. Well,
0: we know that winemaking isn't a walk in the park, as romantic as everyone thinks it is. But tell me what you love about the Alpine Valley. I mean, they produce some beautiful wines. What what are the benefits of of making wine in in the Alpines?
1: Oh, gosh, there's quite a lot <laughs> that I like about it. Um, one, just like our, our um, winery, you have the view out towards Mount Buffalo, at the, straight out the back of our winery. So that's always nice when you're processing fruit, kind of, you know, is a, is a nice vista and makes you, keeps you uh, motivated. Um, I like that we're... Quite a diverse, um, region. Um, so we have, um, the continental climates have quite cool, um, nights, but we still get quite warm days and a lot of sunshine We're it's quite high sunshine hours here. Um, so, um, the cooler nights, um, and the cool winters, meaning bud burst is a bit later, um, means we can be growing, um, very high, a good sparkling base here. In fact, there's traditionally a sparkling base region. Um, a lot of vineyards, um, are still predominantly for sparkling base, um, But at the same time, um, with those um, sunny days and and generally pretty good autumns, um, you can actually grow some fairly late ripening reds um, as long as they're in the right sites. But, yeah, that's why we're able to grow things like Nebbiolo um, in the the region as well. So, yeah, you really do get a a, um, a huge diversity um, of varieties that can do well here because every site is quite different. um, And that's how we've sort of managed to do so many different varieties um, in our range is that we have, we're working with about 10 local vineyards and, and each of them has, yeah, a slightly uh, different climate um, aspect, soil type, so different varieties suit the different vineyards more um, and that's how we can, yeah, produce so many different varieties um, and do them reasonably well, I think.
0: <laughs> reasonably well. I think, I think we can say that you're doing a very good job. You do have quite a few... Maybe varieties that people haven't heard about. Tell me about the varieties you work with, and and why um, they suit
1: the area that you're in. Um, yeah, there's <laughs> there's quite a few quite a few of them now. Um, I guess uh, we have a little bunch of um, varieties uh, that originate from uh, Friuli um, in northeast Italy. Um, probably the only winery with. with um, with the, the five of them. Um, so we have three whites, um, Malvasia, uh, Buduzzo and Friulano, and then the two reds, Schiopatino and Rafosco. Um, and it's quite funny that we've actually ended up with all five because they're not all from the same vineyard. Different, different vineyards have planted them, but we just happen to have five uh, five varieties from, from the one region. And I guess when you think about the topography and climate of northern Italy, northeast Italy um, to Alpine Valleys here. You can probably see why um, they, they are suiting here um, and doing quite well. Um, I think it's also got a lot to do with um, the attitude of the growers um, as well. They're willing to try new things and um, they're willing to take on uh, varieties that maybe ne- need a little bit more attention or care um, as well. They're not always the easiest varieties to grow. Um, some of those ones, uh, particularly things like the Scupatino and Friolano, can be quite, can be quite fiddly. Um, but, yeah, the growers are willing to put in the work um, just to see the results. Um, so they're, yeah, really interesting varieties. Um, and what I love about Italian varieties is, I suppose, um, they're more um, textural, savoury, Um, nature, Um, makes some really good food wines, makes them really fun to play with in the winery because you can do a whole lot of different techniques with them. Um, And, yeah, I just love something different, (laughs) I guess. So, yeah, those five are our main ones. Um, And then um, this last couple of years, we've now got a new variety as well called Pecorino, um, which is doing amazingly um, well up here um, through our – I've got a um, side brand with um, Ellen Anderson um, called Anderson and Marsh um, where we do um, Albarino, um, which goes yeah really well up here as well so it's just fun playing with these varieties that there isn't a lot of out there.
0: You must have to have quite a curious mind to work with so many different varieties. Do you find yourself going back to kind of their origins and tasting wine from the, uh, the regions that they come from to get a a kind of handle on them and then when you produce them yourselves are you trying to replicate or are you trying to make something completely new
1: um no I actually started with some of these varieties I'd actually not tasted the wine at all um I was particularly uh <laughs> and Rafosco I didn't really know about until just before vintage that the grower had them um because Oh, though he's only got a couple of rows of them and he actually wasn't planning on picking them um so so we managed to uh, organize that um and and so I actually think it's a benefit not knowing much about them you can read a bit about the variety but I haven't didn't really taste widely beforehand because I didn't actually want that to affect how I made the wines I wanted the fruit to tell me how it wanted to be made and I think um I think that's the best way because they're not going to be the same as their homeland. They're, they're in a different place. So um, I really like working with new fruit, new varieties or things that you don't know that much about because they really speak to you um, and, you, you, you know, might take a couple of years to get it right. But, um, yeah, I love learning from from the fruit and it, sometimes they just scream at you how they how they want to be treated. Um, so I find that's fun. And now that we've been making for them for a number of years, now we're sort of going back and looking at um, other examples. Um, to see the similarities, to see the differences, but I, I actually think it's a good thing not trying to aim for anything in particular when you make them for the first time. It must be such a, a
0: learning and a journey that you go on. Have you? I mean, you seem to have like the golden touch because you know some of these varieties, I, you know, I haven't tasted before, and, and they're winning gold and silver medals all over the place. Have you ever had um, a disaster where you've you've made something or you, and you just thought, no, that's not what it's supposed to be, and then and not bottled it
1: um yeah there's always learning experiences along the way um yep I think everyone's had them in winemaking if if you you haven't then you're not then you're um not not trying hard you're not you're not risking enough or you know going out there only I don't know you've been too playing it too safe you don't want to play it safe um yeah because you don't learn by playing it safe um so you see sometimes you've got to push the boundaries and like okay won't do that one next year um but yeah like 10 years been going 10 years now so yeah we've got a i think we've got a fairly good understanding um of where the varieties are going and um yeah the, the other thing that's really helped um so my um my husband um is is now a full-time winemaker in the business as well when i first started he was um uh, working over in tasmania um at winemaking tasmania there and then um yeah in 2020 we decided. Um, the business could could uh, afford afford to have him in the business. So yeah, he's joined a team since then, and he certainly brings um, a lot of um, experience and. Um uh, a lot of detail into the wines. He's much m- more detail-oriented than me, so I think we work quite well together. Um, to just Now we're just t- constantly improving, little tweak each year, little tweak, little tweak, little tweak, um, just getting them hopefully slightly better and better as the vine age is also getting better and better. So we like to think that every vintage um, is coming out better than the one before.
0: And do you have... Um in terms of people coming over, do you have people from overseas doing vintage with you? Or who are the kind of people you attract that want to help out in in
1: with all those amazing varieties? Oh well, we actually because we, um, I suppose we have a bit of a different structure to um, a lot of small wineries um, because. Um, we are working with so many, so many varieties, so many parcels. Um, we also do quite a bit of contract um, winemaking for other. Um, a lot of the small growers um, in this region have their own brand, so we make wine for them um, and stuff as well. So, it's, it's a pretty complex um, vintage that goes on. So, we actually, we pretty much don't have cellar hands. We just have winemakers. Um, so, um, we've actually got um, five winemakers in the business. Two of those are now part-time mothers. Um but yeah, it's sort of like, it, we, yeah, because we don't really need to get in um, vintage help because um, because we've we've sort of got it permanently um, in house because it's, it's sort of like every time you touch them, it's it's something fairly important. So yeah, we just we just like having winemakers doing the whole process.
0: Well, you'd have to have winemakers that aren't too fussy about doing all the nitty gritty stuff, wouldn't you? You'd have to have people that are saying like, I don't hose down
1: that tank. Oh yeah, you you, you got to be happy to get dirty and get in the press and hose it out and cleaning tanks and yeah you've got to you've got to be prepared to do the 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 less fun work it's all part and parcel of winemaking you're not a real winemaker if you're not no I didn't mean that I never used to yeah it's, it's a very different life to when I was a corporate winemaker let's just say
0: <laughs> I bet I bet no it sounds like you would attract fantastic people that are probably you know really add to your business but also are good hardworking people as well tell me a little bit about um your work with the amphora as well, that you use for some of your wines.
1: Okay, so that's that's um, that's Glenn's baby, um, my husband. So he had um, he had started playing with those in um, twenty eleven was his first vintage of um, his wine Pandora's amphora, um, and yeah, we got to together in um, twenty fifteen, um, and he just moved to Tassie, and um, I suppose had given up on continuing um, the brand um, Pandora was. Um, a blend of, at the time was um, Fiano, Vermittino and Moscato, Giallo. Um, I was like, well, I happen to have access to those three varieties here in the Alpine Valleys. Um, So, yeah, we actually um, relocated the amphoras up to the Alpine Valleys and um, have managed to continue that brand that he started in 2011 and added a few wines to it along the way. So, um, the other one he had just made one vintage of, which was a red amphora called Pyrrha. Um, and he'd done it with Mata- McLaren Valmataro Mataro in um, 2013, um, but he'd always had a thing for um, Georgia um, and and Saperavi. You know, that's obviously you know, when you're one of the homes of Vampora winemaking. he he'd been to visit Georgia and seen the wines there. So um, and yeah, I had um the previous year started making um saparavi under billy button so we had access to some some saparavi in the alpine valleys so yeah we then started making um uh, pira out of alpine valley saparavi um so yeah we've uh, been playing with those two and yeah we'll see this year we're um i think we're contemplating putting we've got three and four now so there's um pandora which is the Fermentino Fiano. Um, and then Pira, which is Zaparavi, um, and we've got a third amphora, which he did some um, uh, Tasmanian friolano in for a few years when he was in Tassie. Um, so we're now looking at um, putting some Allianico into that and maybe adding a Allianico into the amphora range. So cool. I mean, I'd, I'd just love to kind of be a fly
0: on the wall and, and see when you're making these decisions and what you're talking about because there's just, like you said, such a spread of different varieties and the way they behave and, and for you to – to have a handle on all of that and and still be experimenting and still be challenging yourself is pretty miraculous and pretty amazing. So, I mean, exciting times for the future of Billy Button. I can't, I, I don't think I'd be surprised if someone told me, you know, this new crazy blend or something you'd made. I'd be like, yep, that sounds right up their alley. <laughs> Tell me um, in terms of, you know, the Alpine, what do you think it's, the Alpine Valley strength are, what do you think we're going to see more of down the line coming from the region? Um,
1: well, I am um, a big fan and advocate for Alpine Valley's Tempranillo um, as that variety uh, gains um, attention and, and, and um, popularity in Australia. Um, I think that this region does it extremely well. Um, there's some very good um, Tempranillos. And, um, Coming out of here with that, without uh, the combination of the the warm days and the cool nights. So, um, yeah, Tempranillo obviously loses acid very fast um, in in warmer regions. So the cool nights really help to retain the acid. Um, and prolong the ripening period a bit, so we can get nice tannin development as well. Um, and but you, you sort of do need sunshine um, to ripen it fully, um, as well, and get the maturity onto those tannins. So I think it's I think it's a, r- a really good region for Tempranillo. Um, and the vines are now starting to get some some age on them. And I, yeah, I think there's going to be some. Well, there already is some pretty exciting Tempranillo coming out of here. Um, so I really see that as sort of a, a hero variety for the region. Um, yeah, and I. The other one, I mean, it's a bit boring, but um, uh, Chardonnay out of here. It's a, it's a great region for Chardonnay. We're right next door to Beechworth, uh, but we're actually um, predominantly a little bit cooler because we we're actually not the same. Uh, we might be a similar elevation. Some of it's actually slower, but we're because we're in the valley, we get those beautiful cooling mountain breezes that f- come down the mountains at night time, and just you just feel it just freshens the whole whole valley up. That's what I, uh, one of the things I love about about living here. Um, we, we're lucky to put a very nice uh, little cabin on the side of quite a steep hill and at night time we just open the front and back doors and you just get this beautiful rush of cold air that cools the house down um, and it does the same with the vineyard. So, yeah, we've, we're starting to see um, some pretty good um, Chardonnay come out of here as well. Um, there's been a lot planted over the years so with most of it um, going to Sparkling Base but I think more and more um, is now been going to Table Wine and there's certainly been a lot of attention from... Um, Producers in sort of better-known Chardonnay regions, shall we say, uh, coming into the Alpine valleys and looking for Chardonnay. So, yeah, I think I think that's also yeah, um, we're going to get on the map for Chardonnay at some point. I think
0: mm, that's a very good sign. And just for the record, Joe, I don't think Chardonnay is ever boring, ever. <laughs> I can drink Chardonnay till the cows come home.
1: <laughs> I, I actually think it's a. I've always said this about the region um, is it's a thing to be known for doing weird varieties um alternate varieties whatever quirky weird things um but I feel like we're not going to be taken seriously um as a wine region until we do some of the main varieties really well like I mean I love Shiraz from here I just absolutely love Alpine Valley Shiraz a Shiraz the Chardonnay um there's a little bit of Cabernet Pinot but I think Shiraz and Chardonnay are the two sort of um, mainstream varieties that we can do extremely well um and yeah I think that that's If you say, that that, what are the goals for Billy Button, that would actually be one of my goals. At some point is to win something big with one of those varieties to just show people that this region can um, do them well.
0: Mm, I love that. I want to give you an opportunity to shout out perhaps somebody else's wine. So if you're not drinking your own wines and you're drinking someone else from the region, is there a, a brand that you particularly
1: like that you buy a little bit of their wine? Um. Oh, there's a couple, but um, certainly um, Eleanor from Mayford, um, we have the brand together. Um, she was one of the first people when I moved up here. Um, I was working at Feathertop Wines. I think I'd been there a week or something when this person popped into the cellar going, hello, hello, I'd like to introduce myself. Um, and, um, yeah, she, she's been a, um, a great friend of, of mine over the years. Um, and I enjoy her wines. It's, it's, so, it's quite interesting because we um, you know, have this joint brand. Um, we have very different styles of winemaking. (laughs) Um, Her her wines are are, um, are, very serious, very age-worthy wines um, with a lot of tannin and a lot of structure and and I'm I'm sort of using a bit more of a um, a gentle touch to make them a bit more um, uh, approachable and and, um, um, aromatic. So, um, yes, it's it's quite interesting um, seeing the different versions, um, of the same varieties. Um, particularly in the early days we used to go and do a lot of trade work together. Um, and, and we'd show our Chardonnay, Shiraz, and Temp (laughs) side by side showing the the different spectrums of what they can do, um, in the region. So yes, I always enjoy tasting those wines, particularly if I can send them to South Australia and to my museum for a few years, (laughs) um, and bring them back with a bit of age on them because that's when they really sing. Um, I enjoy those. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, Ringer Reef, a little winery um, in Paupunkka, Um it's making some pretty interesting wines as well. So um, they've got a, um, a variety called Vespelina. Um, I think it's the only Vespelina in Australia um, and it's uh, from um, Piedmont, um, a very rare variety. And it was this amazingly fragrant, very peppery, um, lighter bodied red, which I find, yeah, I just love it. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's a cool one. I know of Eleanor's Wines, but I haven't heard of those, so I'll have to look it up if there's any
1: available. Yeah, they're a bit of a, like, kind of they sell through their and website and, um they're just a little a little a little winery so i don't think they get too far out of the alpine valleys so it's sort of a bit of a hidden secret you have to know about them
0: exactly and that's exactly why i asked you i thought that the winemakers always have a very good squirreled stash of great stuff that you don't get to see unless you're normally invited to their home so i'm glad to hear that we've got some secrets out of you who who are drinking your wines what what is your kind of do you have a target market or who do you find that really responds to your wines
1: um yeah it's interesting because we, we do work with um we've got some marketing consultants um who's actually my, my old marketing manager back in the days of sepple <laughs> when i decided to um start my own brand i, I tapped her on the shoulder trish from um, mastermind consulting and she's sort of been helping me through the whole journey and yeah that's normally the thing is you like you are your target consumers and and you know particularly at sepple we're a very very specific um target consumer um whereas we seem to have quite a broad range. Like we really are spread out um, uh, amongst age groups, um, amongst genders. Like, yeah, we don't really have um, a specific target market, I guess. We have, you know, a lot of people that are sort of low involved wine, people that don't know that much, but just like having an occasional drink to some very, very involved, well, you know, wine people that are really very serious um, about what they drink as well. So, yeah, we have a pretty broad spectrum um, of people that uh, enjoy our wines.
0: You know, that doesn't surprise me because I feel like this is the first time we've chatted and what I've got from this conversation is that at the heart of Billy Button Wines is um, quality, a very serious, you know, approach to making great wine, but it's kind of wrapped up in this accessible, fun, playful, creative um Ball, yellow ball, if I may say, and uh, I think that that's fantastic because that is really how we want wine to go forward, you know, uh, for the next generations. Is it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be delicious, um, and yeah, you can you can get you know you can get technical and you can talk about lots of chemicals and things, like, and surely you can. But um, you know, it's it's wonderful. I think that what what you're giving out is is really. Um, just the joy of what the wine industry is. So that's really refreshing. Thank you.
1: That's good. That's that's the aim. <laughs> Joe, if you could
0: only drink three wines for the rest of your life, what would they be and why?
1: So yes, obviously uh, obviously wine. <laughs> um very very important um, part of our lives but um, being a uh, wine maker you cannot get through vintage without beer <laughs> so a good beer um, is good and uh, we're very lucky we're not too far away from um, Bridge Road Brewers in Beechworth um, and their little bling um Is my go-to wine for vintage. Um, Absolutely love it. We we keep that stock in the fridge, Um, and then yeah, gin and tonic. I'm a gin and tonic girl, so yeah. And we also have some amazing uh, local gin. Reading Co. Do a lovely um, native botanical gin here in um, Bright. So yeah, that'd be my picks.
0: Three excellent drinks. uh, Classic for a reason, but they are all totally delicious uh joe i have loved having a chat with you Uh, i think you know what an amazing uh winery you run and some amazing wines that have just uh reshaped how i think about some varieties and in fact you know showed me varieties i've never even seen before so thank you so much for your time today i know how busy you are we really appreciate it keep doing what you're doing and uh hopefully i'll get to have a drink with you in person one day Thank you so much,
1: and yeah, I look forward to it. If you're ever up this way in the beautiful Alpine valleys, please, please give me a bell. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale.
0: Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod, and contact us at Over a Glass at deepintheweeds.com.au.